This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Elizabeth Viterpass, who is the Director of the International Agency for Research on Cancer. It is absolutely an honor and a pleasure of speaking with you, Elizabeth. Um, we heard an outstanding presentation here in uh, Moscow, Russia, and certainly I felt that this would be an outstanding contribution to our audience in the International Journal. Uh, the presentation was on the human papillomavirus and cervical cancer screening, as well as discussions on the impact on vaccination. Um, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about the impact worldwide of uh, HPV and its impact on, on cancer? And particularly, I was interested in, in the cancer profile based on the Human Development Index. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Human papillomavirus, or HPV, it's a necessary cause of cervical cancer. It's not a sufficient cause, but a necessary cause. That means that the absolute majority of all cervical cancers globally are caused by uh, HPV infections. So cervical cancer is a very important cancer type. It ranks third and second most common cancers in middle and low income countries, respectively. Also, the disability-adjusted life years and life of years lost per 100,000 population are very importantly, in particular in low- and middle-income countries. So it's a very important infection, HPV infection, and it's a very important cancer type globally. So you talked about some really impressive and striking numbers. Uh, we're in 2019 now. And you talked about what would happen if we did nothing about this infection and what would happen if we actually made an impact on, on decreasing the rate of HPV infections. Can, can you tell us a little bit about those striking numbers? Yeah, uh, doing nothing is not an option. I think we have a, 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 a moral duty of combating this infection globally because we have the technology and the means as per today to change the curves of incidence of cervical cancer and other HPV cancers, as well as the mortality curves. So if we continue doing nothing, the numbers uh, would increase dramatically in the next decades. Uh, even if the reduction in the, uh, in, in the global uh, in prevalence of the infection would only be reduced by 1%, the increases in number of absolute numbers of incidence and mortality cases would be very important. So we have to aim to decrease the amount of infection globally, and that can only be done by vaccination. And now, speaking with regards to the impact of HPV on, on multiple cancers, actually, and certainly we know about cervical cancer, what, what will be the, the, the impact of prevention of infection based on the prevention of the HPV 16 and 18 versus the nanovalent HPVs such as 6, 11, 16, 18, 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58? So besides cervical cancer, yeah, human papillomavirus or HPV are also responsible for several other cancer types. For example, anal cancer, vulva cancer, vaginal cancer, penile cancer, and importantly, oropharyngeal cancer, which is very importantly globally. So the vaccination against human papillomavirus types 16 and 18 
would account for about 70% of, for the prevention of all these uh, cancers combined and also about 70% of all cervical cancers. If, you, uh, if we would use, for example, the nanovalent vaccine, this would increase quite substantially to about 89 to 90% of all these cancers prevented. So uh, put together in numbers, total number of cases, we are talking uh, about 600,000 cancers that can be prevented globally. And you mentioned the impact of screening versus HPV typing versus actual vaccination. Can you tell us a little bit about that as it pertains to the, the, the impact that this would have and the number of interventions that are actually required when you're doing screening alone versus HPV typing and then vaccination? Absolutely. So let me start with the easiest part, which I, I would call it the easiest is vaccination because it's uh, is a technology that we have we know how to do it and i think for many countries it's affordable so hpv vaccination uh, would interrupt the infection of hpv types that means it would prevent the cancers to to start all together it has not only an effect in the person that gets vaccinated, but also in the whole community. This is what we call herd effect. As per today, the World Health Organization is recommending two doses of the vaccination with no booster if you are up to age 15 years. If you are above age 15 years, the recommendation is still three doses and no booster. So there are several uh, studies ongoing, which we call phase four studies uh, on effectiveness and safety in selected countries. And what we have observed is that the vaccine is extremely safe. So the, the vaccine has been now being applied in millions of doses and basically no important side effect is observed. So uh, another th important thing with the vaccine, as I mentioned before, is that it would prevent not only cervical cancer, but several other cancer types. Of course, many women have not had access to vaccination so far, and we don't know exactly until which age vaccination is uh, effective. We know that with aging, in particular after ages 30 and even more after ages 40 and 50, the capacity of the immune system to react to the vaccine decreases quite dramatically. So many women worldwide would not have benefited from the, from the vaccination. So screening is necessary until the whole population is vaccinated. So we will need to continue doing screening for a few decades to come at least. In these terms, what has been done so far mainly is uh, screening with Papa Nicolau or Pap smear, which is being used in many countries. There is also a new technology which is screening with HPV, that means that would detect the virus in vaginal samples uh, from the women, mainly who are not vaccinated. And this test seems to be really much more effective than, HP, than, than Pap smear test. So many countries now are switching from pap smear to uh, testing with HPV. For example, in the Nordic countries, this is becoming now the routine. Most of countries are doing it. So it still requires that the woman is screened multiple times during her lifetime. 
but using HPV as a tool of screening, the number of screenings times per year is reduced dramatically by about 10 times. So only about five times the screening with HPV against screening 10 to 50 times with cytology. So it seems obviously that there is quite a wealth of information uh, thus far. And one of the things that certainly I would be interested in hearing from you is where should the priorities lie with regards to research moving forward? In terms of vaccination, I think it's very important to maximize the access to HPV vaccination as soon as possible and as broadly as possible throughout the world, in particular in countries where the incidence and mortality for cervical cancer is very high. That means the poorest countries in the world, in particularly sub-Saharan Africa and Asia are countries that are highly affected. Other points that should be further studies is the dose schedule of the vaccination, the expansion of the age range for vaccination and the so-called catch-up ages at up to which age is really cost-effective to do so. Then, of course, studies on the availability and affordability of the vaccine and cost-effectiveness, regulatory approval and participation in different programs. Now, you mentioned uh, there was an interesting study uh, looking at less than three doses of HPV vaccine. I know that certainly that's very relevant in, in, in certain countries. And uh, you talked about specifically a study in India. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yes, of course. So this study was published in 2016 in the Lancet Oncology by Dr. Sankaranarayanan, who is an IARC scientist. And it evaluates the efficacy of two doses of HPV vaccine as compared to uh, three doses. And it compares specifically the antibodies for HPV 16 and 18. And what it shows is non-inferiority in immunogenicity of two doses compared to three, three doses. Uh, and therefore, after this study was published, WHO swift the recommendation to two doses of the vaccine for girls uh, aged below 15 years of age. And what data do we have as it pertains to HPV infection long-term after the bivalent uh, vaccination um, based on the number of dosing? What we have observed as well is that the, the, even with one dose of vaccination, the levels of antibodies are very high. So this is, is still unpublished results and we are working on it for publication, but we, it, it's possible that in the future uh, only one dose of the vaccine might become recommendable. But this information is still not published. And I know that obviously there's tremendous efforts to raise awareness about the importance of vaccination, but are we in the right place already with regards to global HPV vaccination and coverage? I don't think so. I think the, co the global coverage of HPV vaccination for the target women only is, is very low globally. It's about 8% only. It, it's too, too low. So therefore, it's very important that governments consider the possibility of vaccinating large parts of at least the female population uh, at a very large scale. So we need to dr dramatically scale up vaccination efforts to reduce incidence and mortality of HPV-related cancers. And how do we get access and maximize that access to cervical cancer screening um, worldwide? 
Well, there, there are new technologies being implemented now in, in different uh, countries which are very promising. For example, self-sampling. That means that the women can collect the samples themselves at home. This has been proven in different studies to be possible and actually to be that the women prefer to do so than to go to a gynecologist. And this, of course, would be for the testing of HPV. Also, triage of HPV-positive women. This, there is a lot of research ongoing that will show the, the, the best interval uh, to, to re-screening women when they are either positive or negative for HPV. Also, there is uh, a lot of interest in researching in terms of point-of-care services and affordability. And by that, I mean the concept of one-stop shop where the women can go to one place and get all the services they need without necessarily complicating their lives, that they have to go to a lab, to the gynecologist, to a treatment center. No, that they can get everything at one point. So this might be a concept to be further explored. And um, are there any studies that are ongoing with regards to self-collection? Because, I mean, this would seem to make sense, but do we have data that supports this approach? Oh, absolutely. I would like to, to, to cite one study that IARC did in Argentina. And Dr. Uh, Rossi. Uh, Rossi was the first author and it was publishing in Lancet Global Health in 2015. And it clearly shows that self-collection is preferred uh, by the women and that the detection rate for, uh, for HPV infection and for lesions is very, is very good. So th this, is, this is published. So and, uh, importantly, four times more women were treated in the intervention group where we offer self-collection than in the, con in the control group where women had to go to the usual gy gynecological exam. And then you mentioned the importance of point-of-care services. Um, can you expand a little bit on that and the importance of that? I think this is very important. I mean, as, as a woman and, and having passed through this uh, to the systems for doing screening, it's really, it, it, it increases time and decreases your availability or, and your interest to go to multiple uh, healthcare providers. So if we can concentrate uh, care and screening in, in a few points where the, the women can get the whole services they need without any complications, that's of course most likely increases the, the willingness of women to participate in screening. So I think it's very important to explore this. But again, more research needs to be done and this needs to be adapted to different healthcare systems. And one, one platform that you mentioned, and I think it would be great for our audience in gynecologic oncology at the journal, is uh, learning tools and, and, and really uh, impacting training tools. You mentioned something called CAN Screen 5 platform. Um, please tell us about that. Yeah, so Can Screen 5 platform is a platform for to disseminate data about cancer screening programs globally. Uh, I really uh, encourage you to, to go to, the, to our website, www.iarc.fr, and search for screening, and you are going to, to, to very easily uh, find this platform. And you can see the statistics and the data from each 
country in terms of breast cancer screening, cervical cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening. And you can compare your country or your region to others and to benchmark it, to see how well you are doing and also how well you are reaching the sustainable development goals, which include cervical cancer screening, of course. Elizabeth, this has been a really fantastic opportunity to learn from you, particularly, obviously, very, very important. Um, what would be your closing remarks to our audience? Uh, I think, I mean, we have done a lot of advancements in cervical cancer screening, early diagnosis and treatment, but I think a lot more needs to be done. In that sense, in, for treatment, I think the provision of treatment for precancerous lesions adapted to low and middle income countries is a, is a priority. So the evaluation of different treatment modalities and the investment in affordable and applicable instrumentation is, is crucial. I want to thank you and I want to congratulate you for your work. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for doing this podcast for the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Thank you very much.